welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good uh, evening. Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you for coming. So glad you're here. Uh, at Awaken, we look forward to tonight for obvious reasons. It's Christmas Eve, right? But uh, for those that didn't know or don't know, Awaken started um, three years ago tonight on Christmas Eve. So we're celebrating our birthday. You all are here for cake, right? Yes, yes. Okay, good. Great. Um, Let me offer a word of prayer, and then I'm going to invite you to stand, and we'll sing together. So pray with me. God, we are grateful in so many ways and for so many different reasons. Uh, We come to this place tonight and recognize that it's sacred, it's holy, not because of anything special about this building, but because you are here and we are here. And um, so God, tonight we ask that as we gather and as we sing and hear and listen and reflect that you would speak a word of hope, a word of joy, a word of peace, a word of love to us. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand.
world was about to change forever, and it almost went by unnoticed. But the leaves at night rustled with a rumor. News rang out across the open fields. A song drifted over the hills. A barn owl took flight. Woodland creatures stirred. It's time. It's time. In the pine woods, the faces of little flowers lifted to the skies. It's time! It's time! The skies shouted it, to the seas that thundered it, to the waves that roared it, to the great white whales that sang it to the starfish in the deep. sandpipers danced it on shining sands. It's time! It's time! The running rivers bounded over boulders. The otters clapped and played and sang. To the ducklings that splashed and quacked. To the salmon that leaped and leaped. It's time! It's time! Wild stallion drummed it to the ground. Get, get, get ready. Get, get ready. ready. Be glad. Be glad. The mighty king, the prince of peace. On a lonely peak, a lion raised his strong head and roared it out to the empty wilderness. All the stars joined together in a chorus that rang through the heavens. The bright morning star, and on a hillside overlooking the little town, sheep nuzzled their new lambs, the good shepherd. In the little town, in a little shed, in a little window, a candle flickered through the dark. Suddenly, angels lit up, lit up the whole sky and a great choir sang it out loud. cry rang out in the cold night air and high above a single star set in the highest heavens shone out brighter than all the others and poured down silver onto the little shed a light to light up the whole world the animals stood round his bed and the whole earth and all the stars and sky held its breath and Mary said One who made us has come to live with us. A young mother with no place to rest, nowhere to stay, kept it as a song inside her heart, our rescuer. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, lying on a bed of straw, wrapped in rags, a tiny little baby. Heaven's sun sleeping under the stars that he made.
invite you to stand with us and sing. This next song is big and joyous, so let your voices ring out.
pray you're coming. You are here now. We love you. We lift our praise to you. Amen. Friends, let's take some time and get to know somebody. Spread the love around the room. often during my childhood. My father was in the military, and I lived into and out of four states and seven houses before I was 10. After my father voluntarily resigned from his army career, my parents decided to move us back to the land of our family, to Minnesota, to my eighth house, my favorite house. Built for us, I watched it grow from the ground. I remember peeking around the staircase into the still-being-built basement and seeing a pyramid of rock and rubble overflowing the space of our future family room. And years later, while crossing that space, which toasted countless sleepovers, my sweet 16, my graduation party, I often remembered the way it looked when it was being made, a mountain of pebble that kissed the ceiling. I grew 11 years in that house, 11 years almost to the day, before it was sold to someone else. My parents' marriage had dissolved, and with it, my childhood comfort and memories, the place where I read Harry Potter and Jane Eyre, where my friends and I filmed a Sherlock-inspired movie for our English project, where I spent hundreds of hours terribly attempting the flute, where my squeals of elation echoed off the walls upon my acceptance into my first choice college. All of it, ending. After my parents took down all of the paintings and pictures, removed our couches and beds and books, turned off all the lights and locked the door, I drove 45 minutes south from my college house, used the same key I had for the past 11 years, and with only the empty walls to hear me, whispered my goodbyes to every room, every closet, every inch of the home I was losing. I grieved for my parents' marriage, for my home, for my future that was suddenly so, so different, so unknown. During that time, it was a struggle to focus, study, and work. Even my data entry job at college became impossible, and more than once, when I could no longer handle the weights on my chest, I would run from my computer monitor to the chapel down the hall. Built in its pre-college monastery days, the Catholic-inspired beauty became my escape. Alone, I walked down the center aisle, past the hundred-year-old marble pillars, the stained glass, the scenes of the crucifixion sculpted into the walls, to the front pew, where I would sit, weeping my prayers before a God who I believed loved me. I'd be lying if I said I felt comfort in those trying times, that I felt his presence and peace, I felt nothing but my own despair and loss. But I kept going, kept crying, kept asking him for himself, because I knew he was my gravity, keeping me tethered to this ground, even if, felt, even if it felt like my words were lost against the marble. A year later, when I had begun to heal and to process, I was able to see signs of him in my grief, signs of, signs of him helping me and making me and growing with me. I saw how he became my comfort, my centeredness, my unknown but somehow sure future. It wasn't easy, and it wasn't pain-free. But through my heartache and doubt, Jesus became my true foundation, more so than ever before. He became and continues to be my true home. And we, his people, his church, his beloved, we are his.
today my art is expressing word home. Home is the place where I read most of my books and I try to create my art looking like a book illustration, something you will find in a book, but I have not read that one yet. Um, it's a really, I really struggle with home because I I'm thousands of miles away from my home, my first home. And especially during Christmas, I really miss it. And every time I go back there, I miss my home here. So I'm never home. But today I don't want to talk about home as a place and not um, the real place, um, but home where you can feel this hope, joy, love and peace and many more feelings. And my art, um, I decided to raise it up and have a tree house where you sometimes you have to climb and you have to use a lot of power and strength to get there, to feel it, to experience it. And you cannot drag a lot of things with you there. Sometimes you have to leave things behind to be there. Um, and there's still lo lots of laundry to do at home. And there is a joy in that tool, if you just look for it. I grew up in a building on the 19th floor, and I would always see people outside my windows, somewhere down. And I would see people in the windows there, in the little buildings. And I thought home is a place where I see more. It's not just those four walls, but it's more. And this is the tree house on a rocky hill. The roots are growing into it. It's looking for water and it's getting stronger. Today, we want to invite you to consider the arrival of home. <clears throat> In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius the governor, was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to marry him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what it had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. God, as we hear this story, this story that has been told over and over and over and over again. We come to it again this year with hopes that it would speak to us, that it would say something to us, about us, and for us. And so, God, we open our hearts and we say, here we are. Speak to us. We pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 
Uh, if you are new to Awaken, my name is Micah. Um, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. We are, of course, finishing up Advent. As you know, it usually ends on Christmas Eve. Uh, and we have been in this series where we've had an artist and a writer each week um, explore these themes of hope and love or peace, uh, love and love and joy, whatever they are, <laughs> and home. And uh, uh, man, how, just a, another thank you to those who participated in this. Um, unbelievable. It's been exquisite watching and listening, and I'm a sap. I've, I've been crying all day. The kids were practicing earlier, and I was crying, and then they did the deal, and I was crying, and then Lisa showed her painting, and I cried again. So uh, I'm getting older, softer, or wiser. I don't know. We'll see on that one. But the most famous line ever uttered in American cinematic history as it relates to the word home is, of course, there's... No place like home. Not a trick question, friends. I will not uh, set you up. Uh, no place like home, right? This is Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. A simple phrase in a movie, and yet it remains. It's remembered. It's repeated years and years and years and years later. What is it about this thing, home? Why is that? There's something about home for us as humans that touches us deep, deep, deep down. As if when we find it, we've found something that we knew all along, like we'd already been there, like we've been made for this or somehow connected to the very core of who we are. Something is good about home when we experience it. But I'm guessing for many and probably some of us here tonight, the opposite is true when we think about home. Home has not been what the storybooks say that it is or... Recently, things have changed in home for you. And the longings and, I'm guessing, the wounds go just as deep as the longings and the joy for others who have experienced home. Um, I'm curious, when I say the word home, what comes to mind? Like, just shout some things out. This is interactive. Please don't leave me standing here um, all alone. Uh, when I say the word home, what, do you, what comes to mind? What? Say it again. Broken. Okay. What else? Family, safety, mom's cooking, yes, Grandma Jeannie. <laughs> yeah, what else? Far away, yeah. Memories, singing, yeah. Yeah, all these things, right? And so many different things, so many different emotions connected to home. And yet for some reason as humans, we go to great lengths. You know, songs are written about it and poems are recited about it, plays are performed about this idea of home, all displaying our desire for it and our longing for it. And I want to suggest that part of that is, I believe, because we were created by a God who at the center of who this God is are these feelings that we experience when we're home, peace and joy and comfort and longing and intimacy, relationships, love, a place where you're known, right? Cheers got it right on this one. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Something about home. But yet this peculiar word home, it's, it's not just one place, it's not just one group of people. Often it's a relationship of people, places, and things. I mean, think about some of the places that you've called home before. Maybe for some of you it's one home, but I'm guessing that for many it's lots of places. I remember 1057 Van Buren, the first home I ever grew up in. I was 13 when we moved out and I wept. Uh, so many memories in this house. I remember when we were kids on Christmas, Christmas morning, uh, there were five boys in my home, two bedrooms, maybe a thousand square feet. Okay, you tracking? Yeah, just circus, chaos all the time. So s Christmas Eve morning or Christmas morning would come and we would all sit at the top of these stairs and look down the stairs and into the kitchen where there was a clock on the wall. And it wasn't until seven o'clock that we could come. I'm thinking that this was some sort of, you know, respite for my parents. Like we're going to hard and fast, dear God, if these kids come at any time before seven, we're going to lose it. So we would sit at the top of these stairs, you know, and we wake up at, who knows, 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and we'd be, you know, chit-chatting and elbowing each other and fighting and yelling, and, and then at 7 o'clock, it was like, let loose the hounds, and we would all just come bounding down the stairs, rolling down the stairs, turn around the banister, and like Superman onto my mom and dad's hide-a-bed, which was also the living room. I mean, you can't make that kind of stuff up. I felt like, you know, the Griswolds or something when we were looking back on this. Uh, we used to play hotbox in the backyard. You know, all the neighbor kids where you throw baseballs back and forth and try to catch a base runner. There were four bases, two trees, one, like, uh, landscape block, and then one rhubarb plant. 
was one base. And they say you can't kill rhubarb, guys. It's okay. You can. We totally and utterly destroyed this rhubarb plant that my mom used to make jam from. We built this death trap that we called a, a tree house in the back of this yard. We would tie our wagons to our bicycles and like ride miles down the, the, the alleyways, rummaging through people's yards and trash and dumpsters, finding anything and everything we could tack onto this tree that we called our tree fort. Man, this thing was epic. Three stories, I mean, shag walls, the whole deal. It was like home away from home, right? We have all these memories connected to this place. And then we moved, 1290 Charles. Different place, but these feelings of home. We, we put a boot hockey rink in our backyard, the five of us. Very small backyard. By the end of it, there were puck marks on the, the side of the house. I, I still, thinking back on this, I'm like, how did they do it, these parents of mine? We would, all, we would all start in the basement, and we had, like, hooks on the wall. This was our locker room, right, where we'd all go down there, and we pretended like we played for the Flyers or the North Stars or something, and we'd all suit up and get ready to go out. And then we'd, like, rile each other up like boys would do. And with this just, you know, stream of gusto, we'd come filing up the stairs and out onto the hockey rink, and then we would just beat the snot out of each other. And it ended in one of two ways, either me getting hit with a frozen tennis ball in the face as the goalie, blood everywhere, which was always kind of cool. You know, you're like, oh, you remember that game? Oh, yeah, the blood's right there. Or a bench-clearing brawl where we all just, you know, or both, usually. Uh, it always ended. And then we would make our way into our house. And half-dressed, steamy, sweaty boys, we would sit around my mom's table. And Home. And then we had this bizarre experience of leaving for college. Many, maybe you remember this, where the place that you called home all of a sudden becomes less and less, and it feels less and less like home. Because the people that you're now invested your life into are not there, but they're here, and there's this sort of bizarre in-between line, right? And then there's Mary in Luke 2. I mean, have, would you ever just stop and think about this story? I mean, it's just unbelievable. This teenage woman, you know, girl, pregnant, She's about to have, go through the most unbelievable, amazing, beautiful, painful, so I've been told, experience of giving birth to a child, and she has to leave her home and go somewhere else. Moms, can you imagine? And riding a donkey, right? I mean, can I get an amen, moms, right? This is just, you can't make it up. And she has to leave, and what does Mary do? Imagine if you're her. She does the best that she possibly can. And I just, you know, three different times in the story, it says, you know, something about the manger. And I can just imagine Mary, like, as carefully and as committed as possibly, as she possibly could, she takes this manger and she makes this bed and she welcomes this new baby into the world and does whatever she can to create a home for it. It's pretty astounding when you think about it. I want to offer just four homes or pictures quickly of uh, places where I have experienced what it means to be home or parts of what it means to be home, uh, my, Laura and I. In each of these, I think we find something that Jesus brings in and through Christmas. The first was the Jernigan's home. It was uh, Laura, my wife, was from Col uh, California, and I was from Minnesota. We met in Colorado. We got invited to Karen's house for, I think it was Easter. And we show up at this place, and this is where I first realized that home was a place that you could rest. Yeah, and this was not my experience growing up with five boys in the house. Like, rest was far, few and far between. It just didn't actually happen. So I go to college, and I go to this girl's house, and we come home from church, and it's like, sorry to all the par young parents in the room, there were no young kids around. It was so peaceful. It's like you could hear a pin drop, you know, like classical music playing in the background, and it was like everybody was moving slowly like angels or something. It's like, I haven't, I've never experienced that for in like 10 years. I have three kids. The oldest is 10. And I remember being at the Jernigan's house and looking out on the Colorado Springs, like, wooded, snowy forest, and I fell asleep in this chair with the sun shining in, and I just rested. Uh, maybe you come here tonight, this Christmas, and life has just beaten you up. Maybe you've taken some shots, and you have, it's been all output, giving and producing and working, and there's, nothing left. And I wonder if maybe a place or a way of life or a season where you can be rested and you can rest and filled up. The way of Jesus and the arrival of Jesus, I think, is an invitation to rest. To maybe a reminder that you are not the sum of what you produce. 
I remember another home, uh, the Durenbergers. Some of you know Jill and Lou. Um, this was a house that was like quintessential uh, hospitality and hostess with the mostest gal, Jill. It's just incredible. You walk into this house, and every time we, we would go there, the table would just be exquisitely set. You could literally take a photo and send it to Martha, and she'd put it on the cover. You know, I mean, all the centerpieces and candles and the food was just incredible. You walk in the door, and you're just met with this wave of love in the form of whatever smells you smelled. And you'd sit at this table, and everything, you, you got the sense that everything was picked and chosen just for you. And I always left the Durnbergers home fed, like filled up, like someone had nourished my soul. I think home is a place where you're fed, where you're nourished. And maybe you come here tonight hungry. Maybe you're empty. Maybe, what if, what if, what would you say if the story of Jesus is one where you found out that there is a seat at the table with your name on it? Where there's food and drink and beautiful people, and it's all a gift. It's all grace. It's all given. There's no entry fee. There's no cost. It just is given to you. One other home I remember feeling or learning something about home was the Petersons. And I learned that at home, at the Petersons, this is where you were taken in. The Petersons were this couple. Any Young Life people in here? Any former Young Lifers? Uh, There were a couple in the first hour. The Petersons were this older couple. They had previously done Young Life, and now they were sort of... uh, yeah, they were, they were, let's say, bandaging up all the Young Life staffers, the young kids who were, who were doing Young Life. And every week, they would invite these kids over to their house for dinner. So in college, Laura and I get swept up into this ballyhoo, and we get taken over to the Peterson's house. First day there, the doors open, and this, like, six-foot-six guy, bald as a cue ball, awesome quarter-round mustache, you know, that kind. You can't make that kind of stuff up. Like, he's been working on this thing for a while. Paul, he says, welcome, we're glad you're here. And you just, like, whether you want it or not, just huge, massive bear hug. Your coat's, like, taken off of your back, thrown over in the corner, and then you're given a knife. And he's like, come on into the kitchen, we're cooking, da-da-da-da-da, whatever. And you're just, like, swept up into this deal. You're taken right in. And then Paul starts asking you these laser beam kinds of questions, the kinds that you fear and hate but you want and love because somebody's actually trying to get to know who you are. That kind of a home. The Petersons you were taken in. And what if maybe you come here tonight feeling like you're a long ways from home, like you've, it's, it's been weary and you need to get in out of the snow and the rain. What would you say if the story of Jesus is one that welcomes you? that when you come to the door, the, the response is not, well, I'm not sure about you. I've been watching. But it's just, welcome. I am so glad you're here. There's not a bulleted checklist that people ask all these questions to get in. No, it's just grace, welcome. And you're taken in. Last table and home I've learned a little bit about is the Caswells. And they were actually here the first hour. But at the Caswells, uh, home is where you, where you belong. Uh, when you come to the Caswells, Laura and I have had these friends for uh, a dozen years now, and when you open the door at the Caswells, our kids just run in, and there's no differentiation between the Withams or the Caswells. They all just sort of do this thing, and things are flying, and Nerf guns are shot. Your jackets are added to the pile, and your shoes are added to the pile, and you're greeted with a huge, strong hug from Liz and an awkward man hug from Chad. Those of you that know Chad, you can tell him I said that. But I wonder if maybe you come here tonight wondering where you belong or where you fit. And this season has a way of sort of driving that right home. No pun intended. What if Christmas in the arrival of Jesus is God's reminder to you that you matter? That you have a name and that you have been fashioned by the hands of God. where you're reminded that you're a part of this family, that whatever has happened before you got here, you're here now, and you belong. You are worthy of love and belonging. Awaken's trying to be a community where these kinds of things happen, where we feed people and take them in and give rest and where people belong. But I think as we close this Christmas, I would offer the possibility that Christmas and the arrival of Jesus is an invitation for humanity to come home to return to a place where we were created to live from intimacy with God and with each other and with the world that we live in. 
and this is no secret even to those who don't consider themselves religious, the story of humanity is one of estrangement and wandering and brokenness. And if history tells us anything, it tells us that we cannot and have not fixed it on our own and we need someone and something to come and say, I know the way home. Follow me. And so this Christmas, I would invite you to consider the arrival of home. This is the light of the world that comes into the darkness at Christmas. This is Emmanuel, God, with us. And this is God, our home. I'm going to invite you to um, listen. Ben put together a little something special for us. And the words of this song will be on this, this screen for reflection. Sun. 
close tonight. Um, we're going to do one more thing together, and as we do that, I would just say this. There's a guy named Meister Eckhart, great name. He said, what good is it that Christ was born 2,000 years ago if he's not born now in your heart? We're going to sing Silent Night together um, as we close, and just by way of directions, I'm going to um, have a few candles, and we'll, I'd ask you to receive the light that's coming towards you, and light one another's candles. Um, maybe Kai, if one of you guys from upstairs could come down and we'll uh, sing Silent Night and light uh, with the, the candlelight. But I would just ask that you'd consider these two things. One, what good is it if Christ was born 2,000 years ago if he's not born tonight in your heart? Um, Christmas is an invitation. It's an invitation to move, to step towards. And if you've never done that, um, I want to invite you to consider that. For the rest of us, uh, maybe who have said yes to this Jesus, I would ask the question, what's in your hands? If home is a place where we're fed and we're taken in and where we're, we belong and we matter, um, many of you have resources, you have homes, you have places, and I would just ask you to consider what, what, is, what does it look like for you to create places where people are fed and taken in and they belong and they matter. Um, the invitation to follow this Jesus is it's not a one-and-done thing where we do and then nothing else happens, but it's an invitation to participate in the ongoing work of God in the world, which is one that says, come home, welcome back. Um, what does it look like for your home to become a place where God can do that? Um, so I ask you to stand, and we'll, uh, we'll sing Silent Night together. And we'll pass the light of God.
Paul says in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken community or on Twitter at awaken community. See you next time.